Welcome to About You, I'm Connie Hogan. What an exciting way to begin the new year by featuring a guest who a lot of you will know, Ann Duke, who has reinvented herself and revitalized herself so many times. And maybe you didn't know, but she has a side hustle now as a stand-up comic, which we can't wait to hear about. Ann currently serves in her day job as Chief Development Officer for Habitat for Humanity Oakland. And she's been involved in many nonprofits um, in our community. And she was an OG, original team member for our magazine when it was starting several years ago. And ours just all of our favorites, especially my favorite. And for all of these, all of these accomplishments, Anne has been given the Spirit of Detroit Award, and we're going to hear all about it. Anne, welcome. Hi, Connie. Gosh, you make me. I feel. I feel. You kind feel so of, important. I, I don't know if I'm tired or, or old. Oh no, no, we're not going to say the old word. Oh. Yes, yes. Well, let's start. Let's start from the beginning. Okay. Now, I know. I like to always start with where you went to college. We were talking earlier. You sure. were at Michigan, and I was at Notre Dame. Yeah. So I, I grew up in. I'm a Michigan girl, born okay. and raised. I grew up in Monroe, in what I like to oh, call an extremely functional family. All right. With uh, four brothers and sisters. I, uh, I was a theater kid, you know, oh, I was man, a total man. theater geek as a kid and uh, had my eyes set on going to Broadway and being a star. So I went to the University of Michigan where mm -hmm. I have t two degrees in theater. Okay. My BA was in uh, technical theater and my master's was in acting and directing. So that's kind of how I, that was where my path began, but uh, uh, took a pretty immediate detour before I even left Ann Arbor where I met and then married my first husband, mm -hmm. okay. uh, which is where the Duke name comes from, okay. Ned Duke, who was a uh, very well-known entrepreneur and restaurateur in the Ann Arbor area. Okay. And uh, was, was, you know, quite a bit, quite a few years older than me, so it was kind of a Svengali sort of, you know, May-December situation. Mm -hmm. But uh, we good. had a great life together. Uh, our marriage didn't last, but we stayed business partners for 12 years after that. And uh, I have two, you know, I had two fabulous stepdaughters from that from that marriage, and learned a lot about the the gallery business and the business of art and decorative arts and collectibles at a time, you know, really pre uh, eBay, right? Oh, so at a time oh when my, private dealers yeah. could really make a living mm -hmm. buying and selling uh, antiquities, mm -hmm. and so um, I did that from the mid '80s through the mid '90s. And then uh, as the business changed, we made the decision to kind of wind down and close that gallery. And that was the point at which I met John Bellardo and Tom Hartle, the two fellows that were oh, yeah. uh, the two youngsters I and liked we were to talking call about them that, yeah. in those days mm -hmm. that had this crazy idea to launch a new city magazine in Detroit. It was at the time when Detroit Monthly was kind of mm -hmm. phasing I out. That. Oh, wow. And uh, we launched our Detroit in 1996. Mm -hmm. I still had my gallery at the time, so we used to do all the sales training in my gallery. And we used to wow. uh, uh, store the magazines in Tom Hartle's garage. And I mean, literally, there were seven of us in the beginning, uh, the founders. And it was a super, super exciting project. Put Detroit in a great light in a big, sexy, oversized magazine format, which was kind of all the rage at that time. I think time. I probably have a lot of those still. Oh, the, me too. The big ones. Yep. I love to look at those. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think I have a total archive of every I'm issue sure you ever, do. Yes. ever published. Yes. 
Um, but uh, no, it was in the early days we were so small that I wrote for the magazine and sold advertising. But as we grew, that obviously became a conflict of interest. Oh, and so I, I, I shifted okay. to the business side uh, no solely and was the director of advertising there for many, many years. And oh, wow. Have great fond memories and many, many friendships that are sustained from we those days. We were talking days. about some of our mutual friends. Yes. Now I want to ask you about the Duke. I just thought of this. Um, is that the gallery where, what's the name? Where is that? Where is that located in Birmingham? Duke, well, Duke Gallery, we were in Birmingham. We opened in 1984 in a space that was on Old Woodward across the street from what was the original Crowley's building. Okay, right? so it's not the one that's now, I can't think of the name of it, that's near, uh, it's we across from the towns in there. Oh, I, uh, you, I know what you're talking about. No, different. Okay. Uh, okay. That's the I just Robert Klein. Klein, um, yes. Or D David Klein, I should say, and is Robert Kidd. Okay. Robert Kidd. Yes. Because I was just at an event there. So, yes, yes, which is not owned by Robert Kidd anymore, but oh, really? it okay, has so been reinvented. But okay. we, uh, we, you know, in those days, that was when uh, rent, rent prices in Birmingham in the early 2000s were up and down and all over mm -hmm. the place. And over the course of 10 years, we had four locations in Birmingham. And then ultimately, we moved to Royal Oak, uh, wow. where we were in the Washington Square building for years, um, specializing in Art Nouveau, Art Deco. It was, it was a real education for me. And... I became an expert on the work of Edward Curtis, who was an American photographer that mm -hmm. photographed over 80 North American Indian tribes between 1890 and 1930. Wow. And so that culminated into an exhibition that I mounted at the U.S. Embassy in Brussels. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, Big time stuff. Yeah, it was exciting. I lectured pretty regularly about his work and still follow it How to this exciting. day. How exciting. Yeah, those were, those were good times, mm -hmm. for sure. It was different. And then from there, you did, uh, well, you went to market market share. after I left our I went mm -hmm. to work for market share for a few years and got a little taste of the direct mail business was the uh, VP of marketing and advertising for that company and oversaw offices in Detroit Chicago Minneapolis I spent a lot of time in Minneapolis and I spent uh, I spent 10 years there one winter um, <laughs> but uh, great town made great friendships there I like Minneapolis but yeah but yeah. boy it was a cold winter yeah uh, and then uh, from there I went to work for the Tappers family. That's where I first met you. Yes. Yes, and you were, because you were doing, well, it was Go Red, and Tappers was right. we were so phenomenal. As we, well, such a giving family. I mean, it such is a legacy amazing. of giving. And, uh, you know, in those days, uh, their operation was huge, as it still is. Um, and so it was really a fun adventure, and I learned about luxury retail. And I had a retail background, a marketing background, advertising, but really, you know, getting the opportunity to meet some of the superstars of the jewelry business. That's amazing. David Yerman or, wow. you know, Marco Bicigo, Ippolita. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, those were great times. And, uh, and just a fabulous family it to is, work for. Yeah. And I, I remain close to them to this day. Yeah, we were talking earlier a little bit. We're going to say this, you know, it's right. just such a different, it's a change in their business now, the right. business model because of well, everything. I mean, know, for one thing, just the online retailing right. part of it. Brick and mortar retail is definitely going through, you know, some transition. Mm -hmm. And I'm so proud of the way that they have reinvented and grown in a, in, a, in a challenging retail market. They're, you know, they're family owned. And that's uh, amazing. I used to say, you know, you can't swing a rope around there without hitting a tapper. They're everywhere. I God know. love them. Amazing. Um, and they're all still there. And it's, it's, you know, when I go there now, it's still like old home week. You know, I love see, seeing my friends there.
And they're starting a new, we can talk about yep, this, a they're, new building. They're building a in, new store in uh, Novi, Novi, which is wow. very exciting. So I exciting believe they're expanding yeah. at Somerset. And the Orchard Lake store was just remodeled a couple of years ago. So they and are. I was asking you, are they doing okay? You know? Oh, they're, yeah, they they're appear doing to be okay. doing more than okay. That's, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so happy for them. Because I hear so much stuff. I watch too much Beverly Hills stuff. And right. all those, they're not doing as well as Tappers in Detroit. So. Well, you know, they've they're got not. a formula and they, they, you know, they, they take good it. care of people. And so that's, at that's the end of the day, happens, yeah. you know, that's what it comes down to. So let's switch gears a little bit to the boards the, and, and all the nonprofits because that's how we met. So sure. you were in, okay, you were, of course, you were talked about the Detroit Area Art Deco Society. Yeah. Talk a little more and I'll go through that. Yeah, okay. that was my baby. And that was your baby, in yeah. the In the, I guess, mid-80s. You know, I was selling Art Deco at my store, so I met a lot of collectors, a lot of people in the community, uh -huh. and there was a great deal of interest. And it was at a time when, archi you know, historic architecture in Detroit was not being taken care of the way it oh, is today. It? Oh, okay. And so we started the society really kind of as just a little fun collectors group. But over the years, I think we accomplished some amazing things. We worked with Chuck Forbes and his group when they moved the Gem and Century Club from its original I, location I around that. the corner. Oh, and remember the yeah. little Elwood bar yeah. that sat on yeah. the property that's now parking oh lot for Comerica Park? Yeah. You know, being involved in the moving of those buildings. And then eventually the Art Deco Society merged with Preservation Lane, mm -hmm. which was at the time the largest historic preservation organization or nonprofit in the market. And I was involved with that group, I want to say almost 20 years. At one point, the board president there and played a very wow. active role. But I also, I did a lot of fundraising for the National Kidney Foundation yes. of Michigan. Yep. Uh, that was one of my charities. Yes, I remember you from that. Yes, yes. yes. And then ultimately, sort of landed in the AIDS advocacy circle Amazing. and was part of what was originally the Midwest AIDS Prevention Project, ultimately merged with the Michigan AIDS Coalition. Mm -hmm. But I chaired the uh, Design Industry Foundation Fighting AIDS DIFA fundraiser for five years. Those were nice events. Oh my, God, oh my gosh, was, down in the... Uh, Federal Reserve Building. Yes, those yeah. are some of the nicest events, the, and I've been to a lot of events. Yeah, that That's was those nice. were amazing. I miss nice. those days. I do too. And uh, I that was where I, I I received my Spirit of Detroit Award was through my was work there? in AIDS okay. advocacy. Oh, okay. So I'm awesome. very very proud of that. I keep very well that, deserved. I yes. keep that in my office, and then uh, you know so I've always you know when I was a little girl, my dad was in the Lions Club. And I fondly wow. remember White Cane Saturday or whatever it was, <laughs> standing in front of the bank with my dad, with my little canister and handing out those white canes. And somehow at an early age, my parents instilled that idea of giving back. You know, I think um, I've had a lot of good fortune in my career and mm -hmm. giving back is so important. And I'm so happy to see that young people embrace that spirit mm -hmm. of philanthropy, do, yeah. which I think, you know, has maybe floundered a little bit through some generations, but um, it's always been something that's been very important me to me. Totally. It's just the greatest. Now, um, why don't you talk a little bit about the Habitat for Humanity? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's your day job now. Yes, and you know. yes. So during the, uh, the year, I have to back up a little bit to get myself there, but uh, during the years when I was working with Tappers, my, my husband, um, uh, was diagnosed with cancer right, I mean, and so uh, he had a very long journey five years of ups and downs um, right. ultimately he lost his battle but uh, at that time I I, uh, I had gone I went back to work for hour for a couple years helping right. them with new business yeah. development 
And then I decided to take a little hiatus. I said, you know what? It's been a been long five years. I'm going to take a I'm going to take six months and sort of reevaluate. And at that time, I decided I really want to spend this last chap what I thought was the last chapter of my career, in a in a capacity of giving back. And I had the good fortune of meeting Tim Ruggles, who was the CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Oakland County. And he offered me a position at the time, which was director of philanthropy. And I oh, came okay. on board there and uh, grew with the organization. I've been there a little over four years now and now chief development officer. Wow. And I got to tell you, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with Habitat. Habitat for Humanity is one of the strongest, most certainly one of the top three nonprofit brands in the world, but also wow. one of the top 30 brands, period, really? in the world. And um, the work that we do is really phenomenal and helping people achieve that dream of not just home ownership, but safe and affordable housing. People think of, ha of Habitat as this organization that just puts people in homes, yeah. but we do so much more. Okay. I mean, financial education is a big part of what we do. We have Habitat University, which helps people get on the right. A lot of times they come to us and they want to be in our home ownership program, but for some reason or another, their finances aren't in the right place or their debt to income ratio is off whack or their credit score got you know knocked out of whack. And they work with our HUD certified counselors at no charge sometimes for up to a year or two, to get themselves in a position where one of a number th of things will happen. Either they, they are then eligible to be in our homeownership okay. program, okay. or oftentimes they're now in a position to buy on the open market, which is a wonderful thing. That's amazing. I didn't, so, really, I didn't know all of this. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the, the kind of assumption with a lot of people is they're just given houses. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's the biggest misnomer about that's Habitat, misnomer, that right? we give, we give houses to poor people. Right. And our, our program is a hand up not a handout. So every Habitat homeowner has qualified and, and demonstrated need, number one. Uh, they've demonstrated that they can pay a mortgage, which is within their means, and they dedicate 300 hours of sweat equity. Sometimes swinging a hammer on their own house, sometimes working on another house, sometimes volunteering at our office or our restore. So these Habitat families really become part of our larger family. Okay. Every year we have a big Christmas party where they bring their kids and they all kind of congregate together. And, nice. and more recently, we've really gotten into the business of critical home repair. Because what's happening in this country is we have this burgeoning baby boomer population mm -hmm. and we do not have enough infrastructure in retirement communities right. or places. Or affordability, for, I think. Uh, and affordability yeah. as well for these folks to land. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they need major repairs done on their homes, but they don't have the wherewithal to get it done. So we have, we, and not just us, but Habitat across the country has moved very heavily into this critical home repair arena. Uh, in tandem with the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is putting a lot of resources into helping seniors age in place longer. Okay. So just through simple modifications sometimes to an existing home, a senior is able to stay in that home. And you know what, let's face it, a lot of seniors that, that staying in their home is very important to them. Mm -hmm. So we, we help that, we help make that happen for mm -hmm. people. And that is, it's so rewarding, okay. that work. Now here's my $60 million question. Is Jimmy Carter still involved? So yes, that is the second misnomer about Habitat is that people think that he was the founder of Habitat for Humanity, which was actually founded by a gentleman named Millard Fuller 
in Georgia back in the 70s. Jimmy Carter came on as an advocate and an ambassador. Well, he for the sure got a lot of credit, didn't he? Well, he sure did. And you know what? He brought a he, he brought the he brought and he continues to bring oh, yeah. a really bright spotlight that, to the organization. And really, up until just a year ago, I think last year on his ninety whatever birthday, right. he was out on a job site. Oh, I know, swinging a hammer. Oh, I he saw and it, Rosalind yeah. both. They're incredible. So I mean, they've been. I mean, talk about a president that accomplished so much in his post presidency. Well, yeah, and I won't get into politics because they don't let me do here. Right. But he was better as a post-president than he was president. I think most people would agree with that. For sure. And, and what, Great guy. You know, I mean, you know, I'm from Georgia. Habitat, so. interestingly, is an organization that was only founded in the 70s. Right. You know, you I look at other college, major yeah. nonprofits, Red Cross or Salvation Army, that have been around for a, de a century, right? And what has been accomplished by Habitat in that short history, not just in this country, but in 70 countries around the world, where they're you know helping that dream of safe home ownership or safe and affordable housing available to people that's amazing now we we're, we've got some time left and i i want to start talking about your stand-up the fun okay. part your stand-up yes. comedy <laughs> and i'm going to read something and then you can back back up okay for younger audiences Anne is your mom's sassy sexy <laughs> best friend my mother had friends like you didn't everybody? I, 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 you know, when I first started stand up, it's funny, that was not really the persona that I embraced. Right. But you just uh, fell into it. Well, at the time when I started, I probably weighed a few pounds more than I weigh now and wasn't feeling so confident about things. And I would always wear these kind of blousey, what I used to call my sexy mod mm -hmm. look, you know, these blousey blouses over baggy pants. That's and, so funny. And, um, and then over time, you know, I went through a period where I lost a lot of weight, and mm, I thought I want to look a little different, you know. And uh, the material hasn't changed that much. I mean, you know, I talk about the trials and tribulations of being a middle-aged woman. I saw that. You yeah. know, in a world where, in a world that's built for young people. In a world where Taylor Swift is now an old lady, right? Exactly. Or starting to because she's thirty-two or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I got into it after my husband passed away. I really had this urge to perform again on some level awesome. and my immediate thought was well maybe I'll look at community theater but knowing what I know about community theater I thought I don't have time I'm not gonna spend years working my way up in a community theater group so that I can get a lead Leap in the show I'm too exactly. much of a diva for that right, right? Exactly. so that, right? I, yeah. I, I saw I'd always had an interest in stand-up and uh I took a class at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle mm -hmm. the holy grail <laughs> yes. of comedy in Detroit and uh, just for fun, just as a kick. And my first show, I, I did really well. And I thought, gosh, I might be onto something here. So I took another class and another workshop. And I studied there. The first year and a half that I did comedy, I probably took five or six workshops. And I really, I'm very pragmatic in my approach to things. So I really wanted to learn the craft, not just get out. The, you know, a lot of people that get into comedy do it because everybody at their office tells them they're funny. Oh my right? goodness. Yeah. You know, to be able to tell a funny story about your weekend at the water cooler is a lot different, different. than doing stand-up comedy. I would imagine, yes. And so... Um, uh, I, I really just took a shine to it and learned the mechanics of it, learned how to write a joke, learned how to tell a story, learned how to deliver a punchline, create a tagline, create a callback, all those things that, you know, that most people don't know or don't, you know, understand that that's part of it. And uh, it's been a really fun ride, let me tell you. 
Well, you're at a point, I mean, let's face it, where you don't, you're not depending on this for something. You know what I mean? It's no. not like you're 20, when I mean, you look 20, but I'm mean, 25, yeah. but you're going to LA or wherever, Vegas or whatever to start this. I would think that would be the most high pressure, stressful thing in the world. Though. Well, you know, when I got into it, to me, the end goal was I want to be able to host a weekend at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. That would be like, if I could do that, I will have achieved my dream. Mm -hmm. Well, that happened. Oh, wow. And then I thought, okay, what's next? And then um, I have a really good comedy mentor, a guy named Mike Jeter, who's a, a comic, been in the scene for a lot longer than I have. We've actually just started a business together. We're producing shows now. Really? But oh, wow. uh, he really kind of changed my mindset about what I could accomplish. Okay. And uh, comedy, sadly, like a lot of businesses, um, doesn't have as many women in it as men. You know, for every, oh, okay. every female comic, I'll guarantee you there are six guys out there. I would see that. Yeah. So I saw that, wow, maybe there's an opportunity here, right? Not just that I'm a woman, but also that I'm a woman of a certain age. Because if you go, you know, Connie, you walk into a comedy club, who's in there? People that look like you and me. Yeah. That's yeah. who's going to comedy yeah. clubs. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's that little niche or that it audience is, yeah. that I found yeah. that I can relate to. I did a I did a set or segment in a show in Ann Arbor this week, and I did a joke about taking my 87 year old dad to the urologist, you know, which it's just the thought of it is funny, and I swear three or four different women came up to me after the show and said, you know what, I am in that same boat. Oh my god! I'm taking my dad oh to my the gosh. doctors these days too. So there's you know I like to just look at the kind of funny little circumstances of life. That are either ironic or mm -hmm. or funny or you know I mean listen I'm I'm a I'm I'm at the tail end of the baby boomer generation you know you're probably right in there too you know I'm we're of that generation where our parents are also baby boomers right, right? Well, so my dad's true, yeah. an early baby boomer right. and I'm a late baby boomer right. and there are a lot of differences between those two but there's a lot of similarities as well. And, uh, you know, my daughter lovingly loves to refer to me as boomer, you know, whenever oh. I say something antiquated. But um, a lot of these older people, though, they're trying to put themselves in boomers, but they're really not. They're, well, they're, they're pre-boomer. They're greatest generation. They're greatest generation, but right, they want to right. admit that. Yeah. And I'm like, so I've gotten fights with people about that. Yeah. Well, I've always been fascinated by generational differences. It right? is. Oh, yeah. And, and it's being, crazy. being in the sales world for most of my career and teaching and training salespeople on how how you work in an environment when you're 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 selling to people that are across six generations and the That's way crazy. that you're going to approach a boomer is going to be way different than a gen x or mm -hmm. a millennial mm -hmm. and i i find that part of the sport or the challenge of it right, right? and that it's the same way in a comedy club one of their there's a young comic in town i won't i won't mention his name but he made a comment on uh, social media one day that he didn't trust anybody over 60. And my that's immediate funny. response was, well, that's good because those of us over 60 don't trust anybody under 30. Right. So that's for bears sure. to you, Nick. That's for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, uh, you know, comedy is not just a young person's game. And when I decided to get back into some form of entertaining, it was ideal because it was something I could, I could work on on my own write my material on my own, don't have to go to a rehearsal with five other mm -hmm. people, um, work as much or as little as I want. And I mean, I have friends that are out five nights a week doing open mics and really? I've got oh, a super wow. busy life. If I, if I do four to six shows a month, 
that feels like plenty for me. Okay. And, oh, okay. So it's now, not a lot, not a whole lot. Right. I mean, when I first started, I would, you know, any opportunity I could get to get on stage, I would take mm -hmm. it. But being a trained actor, the actual presentation of the material is not the hard part for me. The hard part is coming up with the premise, the idea, and then making it funny. Because you you have to have your ideas before you go out there. Right, right. I am but you're not, not just writing it I'm out. I'm not one of those wing it type comics. Right. And you see them, people oh that do a lot of what we call crowd work. Is which, you know, to me, I, I, my stuff has all been written, curated, edited, edited, yeah. and edited again. You know, uh, I have... And nowadays, a, like we were talking a little bit earlier... You have to be very careful about what you woke can and stuff. I mean, say. really. Right. I mean, let's be real. Well, I mean, look at what's happened. I mean, look, look at, at Dave Chappelle. Exactly. I'll just throw the name out, and I'll say for the record, I like him. Uh huh. And you know, but he's just been under fire like crazy. I mean, right. oh my God. Well, and this is a discussion that happens pretty regularly in in circles of comedians. Yeah. What can I say? What can I not say? I had a joke I was working on, and um, it had like an Auschwitz reference, and I, I, I rolled it out twice, and both times I didn't. I wasn't, you know, to me. Probably if I'm not just comfortable stay away with from it, it. I'm not yeah. going to do it, right? I had a bit that had a little COVID joke in it. I bet, yeah. I had a friend in the healthcare industry. She's like, I don't like that joke. Oh, okay, I said that well. I won't do that joke when you're here. Okay. Um, but it, it's true. You have to be so careful, and and really, I mean, comedy is one art form. You know, comics say the things that everyone else thinks and are afraid that's to right. say. That's right, and that's what the funniest stuff is. Right, right. I you mean, know. you know, uh, every story, you know, peop every everything is embellished right. for effect, right? right. I mean, I, I, we haven't talked about this, but I think you know I've been widowed twice, right. you know, which is a very sad and tragic thing in my life. But you have to. But I found a way to make it funny. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and uh, and maybe casting aspersions, and I don't know, maybe it had something to do with it, you know, and, and inevitably... People will come up to me after a show and say, did you really kill your husband? I'm like, well. Mm. Well, this, this is a great segue because we yeah. are running out of time. Right, let's and I think we should because the police are not. <laughs> They're knocking <laughs> at the door. I'm kidding. <laughs> but before we go, I do want to ask you this question. Who would be like, say, on a national level or maybe even all time or current, Who's your favorites, well, male or female? Right now, male I got to say, my favorite comic is Sebastian Maniscalco. I don't have any idea. He's an Italian is. comic. He's also an actor. Um, he 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 does observational humor, but he has a physicality on stage. I'm not one of those comics that stands at a microphone and doesn't move. I like to work the right. stage and work the crowd, that, yeah. and I'm so inspired by him. There are a lot of comics I love, but when asked who my absolute Sebastian. favorite is at the moment, I'll look that up. I gotta yeah. say him. How about on the women's side? On the women's are side, don't um, tell me Chelsea. Hammer. Well, I'll tell you, I love. I think we'll talk about this. I'm producing the Traverse City Comedy Festival. Yes. Love Maria Bamford. She'll be there. I don't know And uh, Jackie Cation, who is another one who's actually in town this weekend. Um, if you saw Maria, you would know exactly who she is. What's she her had, name again? Bamford. Bamford. She had her own TV show, and she's done. She's been on Seinfeld and Larry, okay, you know, Career would. Enthusiasm. Seinfeld was She's funny. done a lot of guest spots, but she's brilliant. And, uh, and I'm so excited to meet her you know, wow. and work with her in a couple of weeks. That's amazing. So you've really met, in addition to, you know, your business, your philanthropic world and everything, you, uh, you've just met so many of these people too. So. Yeah, it's been fun. I'm looking forward to meeting more.
That's right. Well, thank you so much, Anne, of for course. being here. We, I think we could have another show, but we okay. won't today, but maybe later. Okay. When you, uh, as you develop, and congratulations on thank everything you. you've accomplished. Thank you. And thanks for being here. And thank you for watching today.